This is Hammond. And Jessica. And you're listening to the Friendly Atheist Podcast. If you like what you're listening to, please go to patreon.com slash friendly atheist podcast. If you give $5 a month, you get access to ad-free episodes. Hello. Oh, hi. Hi. Fancy Uh, meeting you here. I know, right? We have a thing going on next Saturday, which would be August 28th. Nice. uh, In Chicago, downtown bar. Mm -hmm. We're doing a get-together. Come on over. It's free. Details will be in the show notes for anyone who either is in the area or Mm -hmm. wants to come to the area. I don't know what you people do anymore. I mean, yeah. God. So we did this a couple of years ago, and I think the longest was somebody drove down from Michigan for it, which which was was really exciting. Also, that was the, I think that was the same woman who we were, you and I were both late for our own meetup because we're trash people. Mm -hmm. Um, And my mom beat me there. My mom was there. (laughs) And apparently this girl saw my mom was like, that person's related to Jessica. So I'm in the right place because my mom and I look virtually identical in a lot of ways. Um, So, so yeah, we'll be there at 5 p.m. Come bring your friends, even if they like it, it's always a really nice group of people. Yeah. We just did one in Denver. Everyone's so Fat wonderful. Cat bar. Yeah, it's in uh, in Uptown. And hey, if you're interested in architecture, Uptown is a really significant place of ar- architecture when it comes to um, fuck. What's it called? Uh, Art Arch- Deco. Oh, Art Deco. Art Deco architecture. So yeah. Um, hope to see you there. Hope to see you there. Also, I almost just asked you what you're going to wear. What am I doing? Um, also, this <laughs> as if I'm going to put thought into it. I mean, you have worn a graphic T-shirt and a open button-down flannel or Sounds hoodie since I've known you. Yeah, it's my aesthetic. So it is your aesthetic. <laughs> Actually, this is a new shirt, and I'm like, what? Yeah, I've never seen this one. I don't know where it came from. I don't, <laughs> they just appear in your drawer. They really do. Um, I was a guest on God Awful Movies, which if you don't listen to that, it's a really fun podcast where they just make fun of Christian cinema. Um, (laughs) You're putting it very fancily (laughs) by calling it cinema. Cinema. Um, It's God's Not Dead. Yeah, it's it's all pretty bad. Um, So this is my (laughs) second time guesting. I actually recorded this maybe back in April or May. I have no memory of it, of what I said or what we talked about. I will say the movie we watch is called Teenage Conflict, and it is a 30-minute, like, propaganda film from 1960. Yes. Where it's just like... Well, mom, I sure don't believe in evolution anymore because of God. <laughs> like, just a lot of like, oh, shucks. Oh, no, this scientist man's coming to our town, and he's going to make us all into mean atheists. Jeez Louise, guys. I'm going to go look at my telescope. Hey, I can see God. I think that's a... Sounds about accurate. Yeah, a pretty rough um, um, description of it. So, yeah, that should be out on Tuesday, August 24th on whatever podcatcher app. Um, you use. So that is all I have vis-a-vis plugs. All right. Let's, there's a few big stories to talk about this week. One of them that took me by surprise came yesterday and it's from the Department of Education. And here's all you need to remember about the Department of Education. Under Trump and Betsy DeVos, Mm -hmm. one of the rules they basically implemented is if you go to a lot of big public colleges, universities, they kind of have a rule in place where they say, hey, we want you to get active and involved in our school. We want you to start clubs and organizations Mm -hmm. and join them. It's good for you. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, we will give you X number of perks, uh, free access to meeting spaces, the opportunity to apply for grants to bring in speakers and uh, go to conferences, things like that. I took advantage of that when I was in college. Um, 
It's a good thing. That's how you have all these clubs on these big campuses. So Mm -hmm. that's all well and good. Now, a bunch of large public schools say, well, what happens if it's a faith-based club? Mm-hmm. Obviously, the answer is, yeah, they can form, and yeah. we're going to help them the same way we'd help anyone else. Uh-huh. But what if those clubs say, you know what, if you're trans, you don't get to join our club. Ah. Or if you're uh, gay and you're in a same-sex relationship, like you're acting on it, you don't get to be, you can join because we want to convert you, right. but we, you can't be an officer. Like they have discriminatory things that would never fly in any other situation. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, there are some schools that said, well, you are allowed to meet up on campus, but we're not going to make you a registered student organization. Mm-hmm. Like you don't get access to the perks because right. you're purposely discriminating against students. Against our student body. <laughs> against our student body. <laughs> and so what Trump and DeVos and their Department of Education did is they basically said schools that do that could lose federal funding. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. So basically if all... Uh, if registered student organizations uh-huh. were discriminating against other students on the basis of religion, uh-huh. race, sexual orientation, or gender identity, they were saying, well, if you're faith-based, like, you should be exempt from any rule against you doing that. Sure. You should get all the same perks as everybody else or else. Yeah. And uh, earlier this year, actually on the last day of the Trump administration, hmm. American Atheists and Americans United for Separation of Church and State together, they filed a lawsuit on behalf of the Secular Student Alliance, which works with college students. Mm -hmm. And one of their students, Declan Galley, who goes to Cal Poly State University, who basically said getting rid of those non-discrimination policies in order to maintain federal funding Mm -hmm. actually impacts my own safety and mental health. That was kind of the basis. This person has standing. This person uh, can bring this lawsuit, and it's against the Department of Education, our Mm -hmm. government. And basically, the groups bringing the lawsuit said, and I'm quoting here, it was an attempt to, quote, pander to Christian nationalists and weaponize religious freedom to justify discrimination. So that lawsuit was still going through the works because that policy is still in place Mm -hmm. today. Right. Like you don't just get to undo all the rules of the last administration (laughs) just when a new one comes in. You got to do some legwork Mm -hmm. here. But they hadn't done that. So the lawsuit's going on. Let's say the Biden administration reversed course. Well, it would make the lawsuit moot. Like it would be tossed out because there's nothing to argue anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. But it hasn't happened yet. But this week, the Department of Education announced that they are currently conducting a review of those regulations while keeping in mind several key elements, including First Amendment protections, non-discrimination requirements, and the promotion of inclusive learning environments for all students. And they said this. This is on their blog, which clearly everyone reads, the Department of Education blog. I do. Following completion of our review, we anticipate publishing a notice of proposed rulemaking in the Federal Register, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. to propose rescinding parts of that rule. So basically they're saying in very legalistic terms, yeah, we're totally going to do away with that. Right. But we have to go through some paperwork and process things. So like, give us a bit. Right. Um, And so they're basically saying we're going to undo that rule. Like, we're totally still going to punish universities I'm sorry, let me go back. We're not Not going to punish punish universities universities. that hold student organizations to a certain standard Mm -hmm. of Mm non-discrimination when it comes to 
uh, what perks we give these groups. Sure. Again, they're not saying they're not. That's not an anti-Christian policy. That's right. a non-discrimination policy. It's so funny when like you kind of lay things out like that in black and white because we're so used to Christians crying persecution. And really, it seems to me just about every time there is any kind of quote-unquote persecution of Christians, it's because they're either discriminating against usually queer people or trying to force their beliefs onto other people. And that's all they do. And if they just stop doing those two things, I fucking guarantee you we'd leave them alone real quick. I don't care. Like, I don't care about any of your Christian beliefs. I do care about you, like, trying to codify discrimination against trans people. And they don't even people. need to. Like, if you're, whatever, conservative they Christian They don't feel group, welcome or safe in your yeah. group anyway, my dude. It's not like there's some giant influx of openly LGBTQ people who are like, I can't wait to join crew or InterVarsity, or right. name your conservative Christian organization. Right. Which, it's, I mean, maybe there are there are, are plenty of things, but, like, any group that is formed on campus that is, uh, would ban, ban queer people probably is not the inviting place that they think right. queer people want. And again, like, there, it's, you could say, you if you want to be an officer in our group, you have to support these beliefs that mm-hmm. we hold or something. But again, yeah, it's not like there's, uh, trans people up and down the line trying to right. join these groups. Well, it's, and it's it also reminds me a lot of um, like the trans bathroom laws of like they are just creating a problem that simply doesn't exist, so they have something to stamp their feet about. And so, like, if they just removed anything that said you can't join if you are X Y Z, those people probably aren't going to show up anyway, and yeah. nobody would be talking about you on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I should say, uh, after the Department of Education announced that, or maybe simultaneously, as they announced that, the atheist groups and Americans United said, we're putting our lawsuit basically on hold. We're asking the courts, like, just hold on to this. Mm -hmm. We're not going to, we'll we'll, uh, voluntarily Mm -hmm. not move forward with this because we'll wait to see what the government does here. Interesting. Uh, So it's... And by the way, I asked them, like, have you guys talked to the Department of Education? It can't be a coincidence that all this happened on the same day. And the answer I got from one source is, no, there have been discussions about making this happen, mm-hmm. which to anyone who ever <laughs> questions, like, not just obviously voting and who's in charge, mm-hmm. that all matters. But why are there atheist lobbyists on Capitol Hill? Why mm-hmm. are uh, any groups like American Atheists sending people there, or FFRF has a lobbyist, uh, a Secular Coalition for America. Why do these groups need to exist? What exactly are they advocating for? Mm-hmm. Here's an example of how those conversations are leading to a meaningful change, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so, good. I mean, this isn't going to affect private Christian schools. This doesn't stop religious groups from meeting on campus. Yeah. What it could stop is religious groups that want to meet on campus and be bigots Mm -hmm. and get the same perks as every other student group that that doesn't discriminate. It's, we're asking for equal treatment. We're not asking for <laughs> anti-anybody or pro-anybody. Isn't that funny that it's not even like they couldn't do the thing? It's just, yeah, you can do it. We're just not going to give you money for it. Yeah, the and school like, wasn't what? breaking into your Bible study <laughs> saying, how dare you meet and read this? Uh, sometimes you just need to take a step back and look at the big picture and realize how dumb these problems are that Christians love to cause for themselves. Yeah, uh, I found this... Fascinating, because uh, I didn't... 
this is not a joke. I didn't see this coming, but it came out of nowhere. Um, there was a research paper published this week, and it's about the Spanish Inquisition. And, of course, the Monty Python joke. Nobody expects uh, the Spanish no one, Inquisition. Nobody expects it. I can't believe you've heard of Monty Python. I know, right? Um, and they even joked about it in the piece. I'll get to that. But basically, if you need a quick refresher, Spanish Inquisition happened. I have the dates in front of me here. From 1478 to 1834. Mm-hmm. It was basically trying to expose and weed out heresy against the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, so blasphemy was mm-hmm. punished. Witchcraft was punished. Alleged any of those things were punished. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, 150,000 people were prosecuted, including uh, clergy members mm-hmm. and about 5,000, at least according to one count, uh, were executed under the Spanish Inquisition. Uh-huh. Horrible. Um, and I kind of hate that it's been reduced to a joke or a punchline because sure. no, it was serious and frightening and awful. But here's what the researchers were trying to figure out. Okay, that ended in 1834, like officially for good ended in 1834, mm, which is. So recent. Yeah, yeah in the grand scheme think, of things. I don't think I realize how very, very recent that is. Yeah. Um, and it happened in parts of modern day Spain. And their question was, does it still have an impact in any sort of way today? And can we quantify it? And can we measure it? Which is an interesting I'm premise. I'm sorry, are we going to do reparations for the Spanish Inquisition? <laughs> because I'm here for this. Right? So here's what they did. They said, if you map because there are records of this. They actually found, I want to get the number right, uh, they actually found like tens of thousands of court cases. Like there are records of the trials that took place. Yeah. You, we know where this stuff happened. Yeah, this, was, and, this isn't prehistory. This is, yeah. yeah, we have records. And so they can map it on a map of modern day Spain and say, these are the areas. It, imagine for a second, you're looking at a map of the United States and you're like, well, where did they uh, go after people who weren't christian enough and it's Uh like oh look it's in the south oh look it's in the bible (laughs) belt right like Uh imagine that but it's the spanish inquisition where these trials took place where in spain did these trials take place and you could look on a map and you could see spots that are clearly all right a lot of shit happened here Uh not a lot of shit happened in this area and they kind of broke it down and they said okay we can narrow it down to these clumps and we can say A lot of the Inquisition happened in this area. Like, no one escaped it Uh over here. In this area, wasn't that big of a deal. And so these three researchers then said, okay, now that we broke it, Spain, modern-day Spain, up into places where the Inquisition took place, let's compare it to what their uh, GDP is. What about, like, what about their income? What about their education? What about the trust levels in those Uh regions? And what they found, I'm reading directly from their paper, we show that municipalities where the Spanish Inquisition persecuted more citizens, where that happened, Mm -hmm. incomes are lower, trust is lower, education is markedly lower comparable to other towns and cities. Interesting. And is there a causation or is this correlation it is not correlation because you can't tie any of this stuff it's not like these people are saying well i didn't go to school because of the spanish inquisition (laughs) 200 years which is why i haven't gotten my graduate degree yet right they're not not saying that but they're saying look if you look at these regions for example how much money does an average person make every year places where the inquisition totally happened in your community Mm -hmm. the incomes are lower fewer people are wealthier like 
that can be measured. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you want to blame that on? Of course, there's any number of factors you could look at. So it's not like they're saying, yep, Spanish Inquisition led to this. But when you point out, look at all these correlations, look at all these connections we're making here, it's kind of hard to say, well, what are the other things that did it that had this much of an impact? Um, And here's what they said. I'm reading from their paper again. Areas where the uh, Inquisition persecuted more citizens are markedly poor today. We also present evidence that the mechanism behind the long-term detrimental impact of the uh, Inquisition operated through lower trust and education. While we cannot establish that these relationships are causal in a strict sense, historical indicators of religiosity and wealth show that areas targeted by the Inquisition were not poor or particularly religious in the early modern period. Hmm. Like, there was nothing else that separated these areas from their other ones. The Inquisition is what separated them. Wow. So they're saying, like, this is a big deal. They also say the negative effect of the Inquisition suggests that adverse shocks at a critical juncture, when something like the Inquisition happens in a big time in your formation as a society, mm-hmm. it can trap societies in permanently low equilibria where high conflict locally, low education, limited trust lead to low income. Basically, when you have shit like this happening and conservative religion persecution happens in your neck of the woods the impact is going to be felt for a long time to come and while they didn't say it yeah think back to what's happening okay look at the u.s right now oh god yeah in the midst of this crisis of democracy when you have religious zealots Mm -hmm. i mean in the midst of a pandemic saying i mean the parallels are like so clear right look at the differences between i mean i know you have all seen uh correlations between like which states are generally voting Republican, and which states have fewer people with formal degrees. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying smarter, but formal degrees are lower. Incomes are lower Mm -hmm. in those states. Marriage rates usually younger and divorce rates higher. Right. All these things kind of travel together. And again, you could see it uh, in more extreme ways in other countries, Mm -hmm. but they're, they're making that point. Like, you thought this thing ended a long time ago. It didn't end a long time ago. And they even joke about the Monty Python thing throughout the piece, because how could you not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I want to make sure Possibly I... the most famous comedic line is nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Right, and uh, the way the way they described it in the paper, uh, nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition to still matter today, but nice. it does. Nice work. Yeah. Strong. So, very interesting paper. I'd yeah. never thought about it before, but it is a thing. Well, I mean, I think... Ooh, I love that this study is coming out because I would love for them, for anybody who is smarter than me to draw parallels of like the black experience in the United mm. States of, cause when you were saying lower education rates, higher local violence, lack of trust to me, that sounds like poor communities in our cities mm. and those that tend to be largely black and Guess what also happened in the middle of the I mean if you talk about redlining, if you yeah, if you talk about the impact of slavery and yeah, that has repercussions today. You're right. Like how do you all the arguments about quote unquote critical race theory and Mm -hmm. stuff, it's how do you pretend that stuff doesn't have a direct impact today? Obviously it does. You simply cannot. And especially like Spain the fact that this is Spain is 
for me, really, like, useful because you don't have to deal with, like, oh, this thing happened in Northern Africa and we're looking at that because the bigots all come out and, like, (laughs) and are willing to dismiss that because they think they're allowed to dismiss an entire continent for some reason. Yeah, right. But, like, Spain is Europe. Spain is, like, English people's fancy vacation places. And so if we can demonstrate the ripple effects of, of, you know, the... The terror that goes on in these communities at the hands of religion or white people, The Republican line about how, you know, the, well, racist laws are not in place. Therefore, you know, if you want to end racism, you have to stop giving any benefits or acting like racism exists today. Talking Talking about about race. race. Yeah. Like you can't do that. That stuff has an impact, even if it's not written in law today or something. Right. Um, By the way, if anyone's interested, I mean, the link to the papers in the show notes, but that was published in the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Mm. Like it's a legit publication research paper. Um, so check it out. Very interesting. Cool, cool, cool. Let's talk about Cardinal uh, Raymond Burke, who is one of the highest. I mean, he's a cardinal in the Catholic Church. It's a high position. You get Isn't to elect Raymond the Pope. Burke, the name of a character in Grey's Anatomy. Probably. I'm look that up. Um, so he's also one of the most vocal conservative Catholics in the world, uh, who has kind of known for just if there's anything, so if there's any social issue, he's on the wrong side of it. Let's put it sure, that sure, way. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and also over the past year, this is a guy who's so homophobic. Um, Preston Burke. Same thing, really. Yeah, same, same vibe. <laughs> <laughs> he was actually demoted in 2014 because he's just an awful human being mm-hmm. and says all the wrong things. Sure, sure, sure. And in the past year or so, he's been in the news because he's downplayed uh, coronavirus. And so he said, like, last May, for example, wh- whenever a vaccine comes up, you know, we can't force it upon the public. He said, quote, it must be clear that vaccination itself cannot be imposed in a totalitarian manner on citizens. He even mentioned that some groups suggest, quote, a kind of microchip needs to be placed under the skin of every person. That's so 2020. Yeah, right? Like the conspiracy theories are old and stale we as already well. Did that. Um, and by the way, I should be clear, the Pope and the Catholic Church overall has said very clearly, everyone, get vaccinated. We're cool with the vaccine. Yeah. I don't care what you think about how they developed the vaccine, whatever lies you think about, like, they killed a fetus to make the... They right. didn't. Right. We're telling you, go get it. They, the Catholic Church has been really good in general mm-hmm. on telling people to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I have the story in the mix, but there was a church this... Uh, there have been churches in the past weeks, Catholic churches, that said, get vaccinated or don't show up to our church. Like, they're good on this. Raymond Burke is not. Mm-hmm. Um, so guess what happened to Raymond Burke this week? He said something stupid. Even better slash worse? He got fired? He got covid Oh, in the hospital yeah, with COVID on a ventilator. Oh, buddy. He did not say if he got vaccinated. Mm. And just to be clear, like God's I, ventilator, you know, I there's a part of me that's like schadenfreude, like <laughs> good. It happened to you. But also is the name of my game right now. <laughs> but also he had plenty of opportunity to avoid this fate and he clearly ignored all of it. So it's like. As a human, I hope you get better because I don't want to see people suffer from COVID. But also as someone catches COVID, like better you than people who did the right thing. Because he spent the past year 
telling people bad information, harmful information. Like, there's okay, no fine. way there's no blood on his hands if he's been saying don't get the vaccine. Probably is he like really into masking or less uh, about that? Um, I don't know if I have in front of me anything anti-mask he said, but I cannot imagine he's pro-mask. Yeah. What's interesting about the vaccine is that it's become so politicized that I don't really understand why people are anti-vax anymore. Like, it feels like just just a reflexive thing of you should get vaccine. No, like, it just feels very, (laughs) very petulant to me. Um, but the other day I was driving in my car and I was at a red light and I just had this thought of like, so there is a deadly disease that has flooded the world and we have the thing to keep you from dying from the disease. And a lot of people are like, no, thank you. I'm good. And I started laughing alone in my car, (laughs) like some sort of like lunatic person on the verge. Like I was like, what happened? What is going on? And I think maybe I might just be like fully done with, with having any sympathy and empathy. I went to a wedding last week and a bunch of didn't know this going in, but a bunch of people weren't vaccinated and me and like my husband and his cousins were in a corner. We're like, this is our vax corner. Right. We're not like, I did not go to the dance floor. Like, didn't talk Just to the bride or slip groom. Out. Yeah, you we saw me here. Moonwalk, I got out a picture. Here. We're good. <laughs> got mother-in-law in old-fashioned, and so let's go. <laughs> Um, but yeah, anyway, I'm I mean, just, if I'm just you done, go back a year ago and you said, look, right now, end the pandemic, get vaccinated versus, I mean, of this, course, what are we doing? Yeah. Um, Cardinal Burke on August 10th, I know it's been like almost two weeks ago, but Cardinal Burke said two weeks ago, tweets, praise be Jesus Christ. I wish to inform you that I have recently tested positive for the COVID-19 virus. That was his lead? Yeah. Thanks be to God. I am resting comfortably and receiving excellent medical care. Please pray for me as I begin my recovery. Let us trust in divine providence. God bless you. I have to tweak some on a ventilator and my vocal cords don't work. <laughs> Four days later, August 14th, Cardinal Burke has been admitted to the hospital with COVID. This is from his official account. So funny. Uh, to the hospital with COVID-19 is, and is being assisted by a ventilator. Doctors oh. are encouraged by his project. Progress? Uh, his eminence faithfully prayed the rosary for those suffering mm. from the virus. Himself? Uh, uh, on the vigil of the assumption, let us now pray the rosary for him. No, just get vaccinated. I'm not praying the rosary for you. You get the shot. I mean, well, now it doesn't matter to him. Um, but like, go back in time and get the shot. What are you doing? I just... I mean, may his life be an example for others. Genuinely, like, I, I feel like I've done this, like, one, you know, once a quarter for the last year and a half. But like, how am I supposed to feel about that? <laughs> I literally, I don't know if you remember, like, I, I have seen... For all the schadenfreude posts on uh-huh. online, on Twitter, of people like, this person was anti-vaxxer, anti-masker, and hey, they got COVID, and hey, they died. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, everyone shares that, like, haha, karma. Yeah. And then there are people like, stop mocking them. Oh. That's not helping. It's I like, see 68 mm. laughing emojis, and I want to know what's so funny about a father and son right, who's right. died. This, ha- this country is going to hell in a handbasket. It's things like this. Why? I spend... I'm not laughing the at their section. death. I'm 
amused by the karma of these people who were trying to hurt as many people. This dad didn't care about his son or he would have gotten vaccinated. Whatever excuse he's using to say, I didn't want to hurt my son. It was poison. No, you were hurting people. If you took a junior high lit class, you learned about dramatic irony. So you should (laughs) not be confused about why we are all giggling at these like imminent deaths. Um, But, like, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel anymore. I certainly don't feel sad about them. I feel sad about almost everything. I feel sad about the genuinely ignorant people or the ones who might have, like, legitimate reason to distrust authority Mm. and medicine. And, like, but that is not the bulk of the people who are, who this is happening. Like, Raymond Burke, you've spent your entire career hurting other people. Of all the people who deserve this, if karma was a real thing, like... Of, it better have been you. And if it happened to the Pope, who's been good about the sure. vaccine, I would genuinely feel bad about that because yes. he has pushed He's for vaccines. And let us never forget that this cardinal is getting better health care than you or I will ever see <laughs> in our entire lives. Right. So, like, yeah, I, I'm so sad. But, like, God, we haven't talked about that. Abbott has it. The uh, governor of, of Texas. Oh, yeah. This and, week. like... He's had, and I think I retweeted somebody's like, he's had three COVID shots and is currently in like the best hospital in the state. Getting the monoclonal antibody special treatment. It's like, yeah, I'm sure you'll make it out of this okay. Meanwhile, you're going, I know you dropped it, but like they were going against school districts for having mask rules in place. Like, we're going to defund you if you do that. Right. Yeah. I don't like of all the people to get it. I'm, yeah. If it's a Republican governor who's hurt as many people as possible, mm-hmm. eh. I have yeah. a hard time finding empathy for them. Yeah. And I, yeah. Yeah. It's not joy. It's a lack of concern for you. That's, it's apathy. Yeah. It's apathy. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. Okay. Of course that's what happened. Um, because actions have consequences. Yeah. Usually, even sometimes for rich, powerful white men. Don't tell them. <laughs> uh, okay, so along the same lines, <laughs> um, there were a few stories, and I'm sure you've seen footage online, of people going to school board meetings, parents whining about mask mandates in their districts. Mm-hmm. One of them, this is in Tennessee, Williamson County Board of Education. This is, I've actually seen many videos because it this particular county just brings out all their deranged people to sure, speak sure, sure. at school board meetings and a handful of sensible people. But one of the deranged ones was an actress named Lee Allen Baker who appeared on a Disney Channel show uh, called Good Luck Charlie way back in the day. Mm. Uh, now she's not an actress. Now she moved to Tennessee and does whatever it is she does, which is fine. But part of her crazy woman rant was... Uh, I'm going to read this to you. You tell me when it gets weird. Okay. Uh, She said, my children are those... She said her kids are immunocompromised. They cannot get the vaccine. Okay, fine. I feel bad for that. She has two of those kids who are, she said, vaccine injured. Uh Oh, that's not the same thing. But they have... Well, she said they have medical exemptions. Wait, 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 wait. Stop right now. Being... Like being exempt and unable to take well, a vaccine is not the same as being quote unquote <laughs> vaccine injured, which is a nothing she, phrase. She said they have seizures and the hospitalizations and she was able to get a medical exemption. I don't know what her kids have. Let's assume they are medically exempt yeah. from it, 
Which is all the more reason you should be all for like you can vaccines have, for everyone else. You can have poor reactions to vaccines. Yeah. Like, it's not a thing that doesn't happen. It just, when people use words like vaccine injured, that's usually not what we're talking um, about. Here's what she said. I wouldn't, and still, despite immunocompromised kids, and still, I would never put them in a mask because their brain needs oxygen to grow, which the neurologist can confirm. No notes so far. Continue. <laughs> I, I too have a deep misunderstanding of what air is. So <laughs> because so everyone yeah, who wears a mask is to me. they just pass out, can't breathe. Mm-hmm. She went on to say to the school board, uh, because um, there are these books that I have, and Uh-oh. I have them as a gift for you: the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, those aren't books, the Bill of Rights, those are documents, uh-huh. and the Federalist Papers, and also. Fill in the blank, fill in the blank. Oh, the Bible? The Bible. And these guarantee my freedom and yours and our children's to breathe oxygen. I don't think they said oxygen in the Declaration of Independence. Pretty sure there's a whole Federalist paper on your right to breathe oxygen. Unless it's written on the back like a map. Yeah, I know. Nicolas Cage pops into the meeting at any second. Um, She played a nurse on Good Luck Charlie, by the way. Hmm. So that's a real. I'm I know not a that doesn't. What, I know that I play doesn't mean on anything. TV. That's the real <laughs> vibes of that. Who was that? Whoever said that? I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. Uh, it was I, like some famous commercial that everybody said through like the 90s, and then we just all collectively <laughs> forgot about. Um, yeah, no, this woman's an idiot and a monster. So, to their credit, the Board of Education voted seven to three in favor of a mask mandate oh, for good. elementary school students. They're optional at the middle and high school, which is. Stupid. This isn't the woman who said, if God wanted me to wear a mask, he would have, I would have been born with one. She's wearing glasses. Right. That's a different person. That is a different person. But yes, that, that is also something someone said today. speaking into a microphone to amplify her God-given voice. (laughs) Yes. Boy, oh boy. I mean, they're stretching to find reasons the Bible justifies not wearing a mask. And they're doing a really horrible job because there's nothing about that. I, mean, I know the Bible talks about foreskins a lot, but yeah. I don't think I remember a mask chapter. Like mask mask passages one through five. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. You're a big boy. Nobody tells you what to do. Fight the man, I guess. You're the man. Yes. What are they... Why, though? Genuinely... Okay, heaven. Yes. Jokes are leaving the room. All right. It's just you and me. Yeah. What the fuck are they talking about when they say the people don't get oxygen through masks? I, I like, have don't know where that one started from. doctors? Yeah, like, you know, people operate like, on you and they wear masks in the operating yeah, room. Yeah, as I indicated before, I did watch the first 10 seasons of Grey's Anatomy <laughs> or whatever, and I do believe that Mick Dreamy or whatever he was did wear a mask through his various neurosurgical pursuits. And breathed. And breathed the whole time. And there was like nur- nurses. And like, I mean, yeah. you know what? You like, know what what masks are you wearing? And then he was an actor, so it was probably not a real mask. <laughs> I probably check. wasn't real breaths he was taking. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know where they're getting this from. It's, but the sad part is it's all, if you say it and you say it and it sounds scientific to these people, Like, they believe it. Like, the brain is cutting off oxygen to your brains. And a neurologist break out the crazy, like, COVID semen lady from Mm -hmm. a year ago. Yeah. And they're like, COVID semen? Is that what you just said? She said something about it. Oh, I don't know. But, like, they bring up this crazy stuff and they're like, see, doctor. It's like, what? (laughs) 100 other doctors. 
saying different it's stuff. It's the same Why? as the climate shit. It's people, people think that they have, in a lot of cases you do, you have the choice to make, the, you have the right to make choices about your health and well-being to a point. And that's why we have doctors because I don't know what's wrong with my body, but I know that when my doctor gives me a certain antidepressant, my brain stops hating me as much. And like, yeah, I'm not going to, like I did my research and things like that, but also like they're a doctor. They understand how doctor shit works. Like what the fuck are we doing? You're not smarter. You're probably not very smart anyway. The irony is a lot of these people are ending up at hospitals where they do have to put their trust in doctors and have no problem putting their trust in Mm -hmm. doctors who wear masks, by the way. Yeah. Like, so somehow it's suddenly fine as soon as it happens to you. Um, Apparently I am so loud that Mikey can hear me up in our office and the, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV was a Vicks commercial from a general, a star of general hospital. Not what I would have guessed. I'm I'm not a doctor, but I assumed it would some like terrible prescription thing that I like having an onsite researcher who can take care of things. It's like having a producer, but like. I just have to be loud enough to <laughs> to break through the two stories that he's away I from like me. <laughs> All right, we're discussing Joshua Harris because there's a lot of questions I have about. Uh, I want to know what you think about this. Okay. okay, Joshua Harris. A little backdrop here. He is the guy who, when he was like twenty or twenty-one, like a baby, uh, he wrote a book called "I Kissed Dating Goodbye." calling Mm -hmm. on evangelical Christians to do courtship and Mm -hmm. abstinence until marriage. And it came out in 1997. He really jump-started the purity culture movement. Um, Not that it didn't exist before that, but he really uh, uh, made it a bigger deal. And uh, there are plenty of women who have since come out, evangelicals, maybe still Christians, some of whom are not, who are saying, I grew up, that book was like my textbook growing up or it was taught in my church or promoted in my church and it harmed me because either I did something and I thought I was bad for experimenting Mm -hmm. or it made me feel like a whore or something like that for Mm -hmm. what because you kissed your boyfriend or something like it's just an awful book that sends all the wrong double standard messages you can imagine and for the past few years as more of those women are speaking out the backlash has been pretty significant mm-hmm. to the point where even Joshua Harris is distancing, has distanced has himself distanced, yeah. from that book. I mean, even he's like, look, I wrote that a long time ago. And I think more to the point is that he doesn't believe those things anymore. It's not like he's like, oh, it got out of control and I still believe what I wrote, but the culture around it. He is like, no, what I wrote was not healthy, and I got divorced. He hasn't said that in the same way I would have wanted him to in the sense that, like, I'm distancing him myself from everything. He, Uh like, disavowed it, but he hasn't exactly said, here's where I got everything wrong, Mm -hmm. which I would love to hear, but I haven't heard it yet. But but you're right. You bring up some points that happened a couple years ago and last year when we discussed him because, yeah, he and his wife, who met through that process of, Mm -hmm. like, courtship and they married early, hey, they separated after 20 years together, which would normally be a, okay, I mean, that's on you. It's too bad. It happens sometimes. Yeah. Uh, But also it shows these things don't necessarily last forever, even if you do all the rules right. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, He also said he was no longer a Christian. He didn't use the word atheist, but he said that. Mm. He even showed up at a pride parade the following month, which 
made a lot of people mad because they're like, yeah, you are not wanted here of yeah, all the damage you caused. Maybe slow your old guy. <laughs> he Just because you've forgiven yourself does not mean the rest of the world has. He did say in an interview he was sorry for the harmful things he wrote without going into depth there. But he added, you can't give people back years of their life as a way of apologizing for what he did. Like admitting like there's not much I can do at this point, but I acknowledge so that I made a mistake. so your critique of that is that he did not say this was harmful and yeah I'm i would like for, for him to say harm. look i said abstinence was a good idea mm-hmm. it's not in fact it's unhealthy sure and look if you choose to wait so be it but if you don't fine yeah. like there's nothing wrong with you that's a normal thing there are ways to make sure you're doing everything safely mm-hmm. um i would like to hear that i haven't heard that from him unless i miss something but that would be a thing i mean basically The question that comes up, and this is a question I want to ask, and I know we have talked about this in the past, is can he do anything at this point to really atone for the damage he has caused? And this is a question that has sprung up for a couple of years now Uh when you wrote one of the most damning books, but it was more than two decades, nearly 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. What can you do at this point? Mm -hmm. I mean, is there anything you could do that can make people say, yeah, okay, you you screwed up. Mm But okay, we forgive you because you have done X, Y, and Z. Um, I do have some options here, but. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think that, so, huh. I was in therapy yesterday or two days ago or whenever times a flat circle. And she said something about like, I, I think sometimes people are surprised People are incredibly forgiving if they see the person who is has wronged them or did bad or whatever, if they see actual genuine effort out of them, even if they fall short of where they want to be, if they're really making an effort and not just like going through the motions or not just saying, well, I'm sorry if your feelings were hurt. I think for me personally, obviously that doesn't undo all of the terrible things, but like also how old was he when he wrote that book? Like, I'm a fetus. Yeah, he was a baby. And like, and not to say that people shouldn't be held accountable. Like he was in his early 20s or something like that. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, here's the thing. He wrote this book and people glommed onto it. Why? He's not a doctor. He's not a psychologist. Right. He's not a relationship expert. He's not any of those By things. By the way, all, all this stuff we're talking about, it is useful. This is not the story we are talking about. Oh, it's But not? it's all useful. <laughs> yes, no, keep going. <laughs> Sorry, I derailed us so hard. It's all right. But, but I mean, yeah, like, he did not ask for all of this shit. And, of course, he leaned into it because I think he genuinely believed it at the time. And he Mm -hmm. was doing, he was doing bad things, but not with malicious intent in general, from what I can see. And I could be wrong. Um, But I think the fact that he is trying to take his lumps and trying to, like, sort of pay penance. Obviously, showing up at Pride Parade is maybe jumping the line a little bit, <laughs> but it seems to me that he, like I'm an ally, uh, do some work. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can't just buy a t-shirt that has like a <laughs> rainbow flag on it and be like, ha, <laughs> I did the thing. I bought the thing from target. Um, so, uh, he, listen, yeah, his work did a lot of damage, but I think the responsibility should be placed much more firmly on church leaders who 
seized the opportunity to control the sexuality of their daughters gleefully and ran with it. Some of the things that came up a couple years ago as he he was getting back into the news again, he could be a vocal advocate for comprehensive sex education. Mm -hmm. Comprehensive. Mm -hmm. He could promote the idea, like actively promote the idea that not every close relationship Mm -hmm. you have has to be marriage and waiting. Yeah. He could be a true ally for the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. However, he wants to do that showing up at a pride parade. Not exactly it. That's not the... But uh, whatever, I mean, he needs to actively undo the harm that he did. Mm -hmm. Pretending he didn't do it or just saying I'm distancing myself from it. Like you get to escape from it, but not the people affected by your work. So like. But but also he is not doing the least he could do. The least he could do would be to disappear from public life altogether. Would that be a bad thing? I don't think some people have called for that. I don't think it would be a. I think if he, okay, that would be a bad thing if the alternative was like, hey, remember me? I'm the abstinence guy. Um, I've changed some things. Here's a new book I have that I'm selling. Like, I have it figured out this time. Like, <laughs> that one was bad. This one, I sure got it. Yeah. It doesn't seem to me, and I, I could be wrong. I, I mostly only hear about him through you. Like, is You're he welcome. is he hawking anything? Is he selling things? Is we'll he, get to that. Uh, <laughs> so, listen. I I don't know. I think it would be, I think saying out loud publicly, I no longer stand by these ideals. I am no longer a Christian. The things I wrote when I was 23, surprise, surprise, did not result in a perfectly mature and wonderful and fulfilling marriage. Maybe, maybe we all shouldn't have been looking to this book in the first place. <laughs> um but, but anyway, like, I think that is braver than just disappearing. And yeah, I'm not a Christian anymore. I don't talk to anybody about it. Because to me, that is like hiding in shame. Whereas mm-hmm. this is like, I feel like he's publicly taking his, like, you know, taking his lumps. In in my opinion. Yes, there's a million more things he could and absolutely should do. But also he's... Who the fuck is he? Like, why would we listen to him at all? What does he have to say? What does he have to add to the conversation? So now let's get to the reason I want to talk about this guy. For the past couple years, again, keep in mind, he's, what is he now? Like in his 30s, 40s, something like that. Mm -hmm. He's relatively young. He has to make money. He's still a dude. Like he's still trying to live life and stuff. So what does he do? For the past couple years, he's been, if you go to his website. Waiting tables or like the rest of us. His job is a personal life coach, which... Bing bong. Uh, Whatever. He's secular. He's doing this in a secular way, saying, look, you need help getting confidence, finding your voice, building your platform. I have done those things in terms of building my platform. You know, I can help you do that. And honestly, like, part of me rolls my eyes at those coaches in Mm. general. Oh, totally. But, okay, in a secular way, if you're, like, saying, look, I can help you, like, you want to sell, you want to promote your business, you mm-hmm. want to do it for whatever it is you're doing, I can guide you through that because right. I've done it. Right. It's not a scam. You're doing it. No, you're no. helping them. Okay, fine. That's what he's been doing for a couple of years. I did not like that on his website, it said, as promoting himself, if you look at his bio, like, why should you trust this guy? Uh-oh. My books have sold more than, a, than 2 million copies in dozens of languages. And I've also unpublished books when I realized they harmed people. It's like skipping a lot there, buddy. But all right. Yeah, that's like a high level <laughs> overview of what happened, which I guess is appropriate for a little bio clip. But 
saying I've sold it asks so more many questions books. than it answers. I will say that. <laughs> I have sold so many books. Yeah, dude, we we know. We remember. <laughs> okay, so that's not the reason people are upset. They're upset because he's now, as of last week, he was offering a special class. This one would cost two hundred seventy-five dollars. Mm-hmm. It was a five-week course, mm-hmm. and it was called "Reframe Your Story." And he designed it, and I'm quoting here for people who are, quote, unpacking and rethinking the religious rules Hmm. in which they were raised. So if you feel shame about your faith or you're questioning your faith, I'm going to help you, like, with that struggle. I'm going to help you get through it, which basically means this guy who spent the bulk of his life very confidently telling people how to improve their lives, mm-hmm. uh, their spiritual lives, mm-hmm. only to ruin so many lives in the process, is now selling himself as the person you need to give money to to help you get over the shit he caused yeah. in so many cases. Like he's selling a course for people whose faith was shattered because of people like him. He's capitalizing on the trauma he helped cause. By the way, his course also advertised itself as helping anyone who feels, and I'm quoting, shame around sex. Where would they feel that from? Where Hmm. would they get that idea from? Nothing I can remember specifically. (laughs) And he announced this course right after we talked about him. I actually interviewed uh, uh, Mike Cosper, who's doing that podcast about Mark Driscoll, the pastor who's very abusive. Uh There was a special bonus episode where Cosper talked to uh, Joshua Harris. Really? About uh, some of the stuff that appears uh, in Driscoll's story. Mm-hmm. But he kind of used that as his launching point for, hey, I'm selling a class. for the-. Like, you're capitalizing on a bad thing. Yeah. Not the interview you did. Yeah. But, like, you use that to launch this. It's not a good look. <sighs> yeah. But now, it, let me offer some caveats here. Yeah. Joshua Harris said on his site, a full scholarship, the 275 bucks is available to anyone harmed by purity culture and my past books. Like, email him. He said, fine. I okay. Take the course for free. So keep that in mind. Okay. Um, he, there was, I'm going to read you some backlash online after he announced this, because a lot of people who were, di- I'm not directly affected by the guy. Sure, a sure, lot sure. of people were. Yeah. Um, how likely do you think it is that his course is going to spend the time accurately naming and unpacking the intersecting oppressive systems that inappropriately elevated him to a position of power to do harm in the first place? Mm-hmm. Uh, in my opinion, Joshua Harris is just demonstrating that he learned exactly the lessons he was meant to learn in the American evangelical machine. Mm. I haven't seen this take yet, but if one writes a book that becomes a Christian bestseller and it contains theology that is identified by nearly a whole generation as psychologically harmful, mm-hmm. offering licensed therapy to your victims would be a better would be better than a free online course. Yeah. What is his do you know does he have any education? Does he have any qualifications? Like why is I he I don't think he has any is psychology he just writing, credentials. Is he just writing the wave of this one book he wrote in yeah, I, be- I believe what he's saying is I have been successful as a Christian author. Mm-hmm. I have been successful. And if you want to be successful, I can help you through that. It's no different than someone on YouTube who has a million subscribers saying, hey, you have no subscribers. I will help you guide you through the things you need to do to become more popular. Yeah. Um, is it going to make you more popular? Not necessarily. But yeah, that person probably has some experience. Do I mean, 
if the thing you want to become mm-hmm. is as popular as that YouTuber, mm-hmm. I understand why you would want to go to that person. If sure. your thing is, I don't want to, I don't care what about Joshua Harris's beliefs, yeah. but I would like to write a best-selling book in my field. Mm-hmm. I would like to have a platform on which places are inviting me to talk about it. Yeah. I, I don't think you necessarily need any formal credentials for that. But when you, and, and he is not saying he's offering therapy. I want to be clear. So he doesn't need some right. license there. But no, he doesn't have any standard formal credentials. Um, <laughs> my favorite, of course, uh, response to all this is the meme of uh, from the show with the guy in the hot dog suit saying, like, we're all trying to find the guy who did this. Uh, it's like, from I Think You Should Leave, and it's maybe one of my favorite, there favorite you go. sketches ever. So everyone's just reacting to Joshua Harris's thing like, yeah, this is you, dude. Yeah, it's the idea is some, quote unquote, somebody drove, drove a hot dog car into a storefront, and everyone's like, whose car was it? And it's, what's his face? And the guy in the hot dog and costume the hot dog is like, yeah, like, I don't know. I don't did. know either. We're all trying to get to the bottom of this. It's an A-plus sketch. <laughs> it's now, very good. I should say... Within days of him announcing that course and everyone backlash, uh, offering backlash over the course, uh-huh. he canceled the entire program. Yeah. And he, here's what he said. Uh, uh, I'm going to get, it's a long statement he put out. But he said, as a result of hearing your perspective and valid criticism, I've decided to pull the course. I agree that I'm not an expert or a deconstruction guru. Mm -hmm. I hoped I could use my platform to spotlight other people with more experience and expertise, point people to good resources and offer questions to help people unpack and make sense of their own journey. Mm -hmm. But I recognize this approach is flawed. I want to explore different ways to lift up other voices. I do want your take on this after I'm done. He said, I'm also going to shelve the resource list on deconstruction that he had put together. I didn't get permission from the creators to promote their work alongside my course. And I apologize for not getting consent first. I'm removing the emails of folks who downloaded the resource. So no one will get follow-up messages for the people who signed up for the course. I'm glad. I'm so glad the vast majority used the free option. This made me really happy. Only four people paid Hmm. will refund the registration of those four individuals. Interesting. While my course was offered with a free option, I encourage everyone to access and financially support the content and courses being offered by others in the deconstruction community. They're passing on incredible value and expertise and pouring so much of themselves into their work. Thanks again for speaking up and seeking to help me do better. I'm going to continue listening, learning, and growing. How is that as a... Way of saying, all right, I'm closing this shop down. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like somebody who tried to do something in good, forget the pun, in good faith, didn't do any of the work because he is a man who has never had to do the work ever before in his life. You see this all the, like, did you see either of the um, 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 Fire Island, not Fire Island, Fire Festival? Fire Fest. Did you see either of the Fire Fest doc, um, documentaries? Document- yeah, I did. So the one with where they actually interview the um, the the dude in the charge. dude who did it yeah. who like thinks he's so much smarter than everybody yeah. it's real Ted Bundy esque of like <laughs> yeah you can interview me because I'm gonna outsmart you at every turn and it turns <laughs> out guess what this guy is just a mediocre dude with money right um, but the thing I noticed the thread I noticed that I am noticing here again is that he got this idea, and whether it's a good good or bad idea is not the point. He had this idea, and he decided to, like, run with it. He did not really ask for help from the proper sources, but he thought, hey, like, I'm going to put this thing together and sell it. I've been a life coach for a few years. I know how to run a course like this. Exactly. 
And then realize that the fact that he didn't con- seem to not really consult anybody, at least outside his, his immediate group, um, he realized that's a bad thing. He realized you can't just drop shit onto your website from other places and <laughs> and sell it or promote it or whatever without their permission. There's a lot of things you have to do to like get a business off the ground. And the Firefest doc is a <laughs> bigger version of this, of he just assumed shit would kind of get done because he's lived this life where shit just sort of gets done around him, right? Like he doesn't worry about where... He, you know, who gases up his car or who vacuumed when the floors were vacuumed. Yeah, he has people for that. And so he, the, when these men have lived these entire lives of just people around them doing their bidding, they assume that they have done all of those things and are smart. And so they're like, yeah, I can do this on my own. And it turns out they're fucking idiots. And things don't just come together. It's a team of usually women behind them who are <laughs> making sure all the boxes are ticked. And to me, it's the same thing of like, you know, whether or not his little scheme was a good idea of selling this course or whatever is sort of unimportant when compared to the fact that he did no, no real work on the execution. Again, as of and, all the ways you right, want, you right. could have someone like him in right. his position come back and really show he's an ally. Mm-hmm. This is the equivalent of showing up to the pride parade again and saying, I'm an ally. hundred percent. It's like, no, no, it's no, no, no. Same we do. Shit. It's the I appreciate the sentiment. You're not wanted here right now. Right. A hundred percent. And so, but the difference between the Firefest guy and this guy is he sounds sorry. He sounds contrite. He sounds like he actually realized he fucked up, not because he was trying to do bad, but he had no fucking idea that he couldn't just slap 200, a $200 price tag on an hour of his like slideshows or whatever. Mm-hmm. He just had no fucking idea. And at least it sounds like he. He's at least going to pause before attempt number whatever it is. Yeah, and it sounds like he real under has a deep understanding of the many ways he fucked up. <laughs> is going to try to do better in the future. I think maybe doing better in the future would be disappearing from public life or throwing yourself into you know sex education advocacy or whatever. It should maybe not be a josh branded thing maybe he (laughs) should like take a step down step out of the spotlight and do some actual good work that actually helps people instead of makes him richer and makes people marginally happy for 20 minutes i i don't have any problem with this guy making money i don't have i'm not saying this guy needs to to be canceled quote unquote for a long time or anything uh just come back with actual genuine repentance that? Instead of just trying to do the next thing, like he's going to host Jeopardy next. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We haven't talked about that. <laughs> <We> haven't. <laughs> do you want to do a sidebar on what's I, going on in Jeopardy? Because I read that, that piece today that apparently... Yeah, I mean, the gist of it is they had guest host after guest host, which everyone pretty much knew you're just doing a fill time because there are people who have always wanted to do it. They would do it. Um, and they kind of let people believe it was a trial run for a future permanent host for Alex Trebek. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the executive producer says, guess what? It's going to be me. Um, though he says he had nothing to do with that process. Which, but he did have some input in the process. Because um, uh, he was in charge of the process, Hemant. Well, he said once I was being seriously considered, I took myself out of the running. But I heard he got to pick 
Like when they did focus group testing, he gets to pick the episode that they test when it's other hosts and you could pick the worst one, like the beginning, whatever. Um, I don't know. I personally think Ken Jennings should be the host because I like him and I think he's smart. And every when I was there in mm-hmm. the room, like I promise you every diehard fan who wants to be on the show and mm-hmm. gets that opportunity mm-hmm. wants to see Ken Jennings. And yeah. like if people don't remember him, it was on Jeopardy. A while ago, and trust me, no one remembers. It's all good. He won. No, but like he's a Jeopardy they, champion. Like among the diehard fans, you all want to be him. We want to have that sort of success on the show, mm-hmm. and he represents what all of us are striving yeah, for. Yeah, the ideal. Like that's not a diss on like Lavar Burton, who the general public really seems to like. Um, that's just like yeah, but I don't associate Lavar Burton or Mayim Bialik or whoever else with the show. Yeah, they're just good hosts, right? Ken Jennings lives and breathes Jeopardy. I don't care. My opinion does not matter here. But after all this, this Mike Richards guy gets the gig. Then it turns out, oh, he has said and done a bunch of shit and been called out for it. Yeah. And didn't stop him from getting promoted higher and higher. And Mm -hmm. now he's the host of the show, which, again, I think the problem for so many people is not that he's bad at the job. I don't even, I've never even seen him talk. He did guest hosting for a couple of weeks. It was fine. He's, he's fine. Yeah. The problem is this is just a gig for you. It's not a life mission. Whereas for someone else, like the Ken Jennings type, it's like, no, dude, this, this will be their life. And they're happy about that. Right. Um, I don't know. No one cares what I think about it, so I'm just spouting off to nobody, I promise. I don't think that's true, because Ann and I talked about it for a while today. Um, I want to read this quote that He got we in re- trouble anyway, and he got he said, right. I'm, re- I'm not going to take on this role about a week after he was announced as the permanent host. Yeah. And so now they're back where they started yeah. with no host permanently anyway. And everybody, and they have burned through all of their goodwill because <laughs> right. there was such a grassroots campaign for, for LeVar Burton, yeah. which I, who I think would be also great. Like he has a very similar vibe to Alex Trebek, which I think is why people like them. I think LeVar Burton is a very like, <laughs> makes you feel like you're at home all the time just because of the nature of him as a human and like his acting career in the nineties for many of us millennials. Um, and obviously reading rainbow and stuff like that. But there, so this thing on the ringer, um, mm-hmm. which I read, which is, I, I there's was, a writer there, uh, Claire McNear, who tackles Jeopardy the way other writers at the ringer tackle professional football. Like she knows the ins and outs. She has the connections. Reading this article about the host of Jeopardy was <laughs> the most engaging thing I've yeah. read this week. She's fantastic. But I want to read this quote, um, from Kristen Salsville, who won five games in Jeopardy in 2015. Um, and this, I think, is really the crux of, like, why I think this guy is a monster douchebag mm-hmm. and thought it from the the second they <laughs> announced anybody besides, like, a really recognizable face. I was like, oh, fuck this guy. <laughs> it's unfortunate that guest hosts like Aaron Rodgers and LeVar Burton really put themselves out there in terms of openly wanting the job. And for Rodgers, in particular, discussing the extraordinary amount of effort to which he went to prepare for his turn, when it's not clear anybody besides Richards ever had a real chance at that main role. Rodgers and Burton were clear about how important Jeopardy was to them personally. Given that he was also a candidate to host The Price is Right, it looks like Richards just wanted to, ho- to host a show any game show, which I think is for me personally, the crux of it of like, Oh, you just want to host a show. And then Alex died. Alex died. And you're... he was made the executive producer of jeopardy right before. Uh, right before all that happened. And so the second this opening comes up. Yeah. Yeah. All happened. So anyway, it's one of those things, I, I honestly wondered had nothing happened and had he kept the job, 
I do wonder, this probably would have died away in like two months and people would have spent a month getting used to him. And then the people who watched the show would be like, all right, I guess this is the thing now. And they probably would have forgotten about it. Yeah. Um, And the fact that because of people like Claire McNear and because there was just people mad about the way they went about that process for a a show that that's. That's that beloved. Yes. I promise you, Wheel of Fortune does not generate the same sort of passionate fan base. But they do produce more revenue, I learned in this article. That's right. (laughs) But that's the thing. Like, if you want to host a show, you could host a show. I'm sure the fact that Sony doesn't know what they're dealing with. Yeah. Every (laughs) white guy in Hollywood is is hosting a game show right now. Alec Baldwin has one. Adam (laughs) Scott has one. Like, everybody has one. Just make up a game show. We have a game show called The Floor is Lava. Take the reins on that one, guy. You're going to you're gonna go for Jeopardy, yeah? Fucking ass wipe. <laughs> And why would we want just this nobody? It doesn't matter. I just, uh, it's just the entitlement of it all. You know, this sort of farce of it all. I think that's the part that bothered so many people, which was Mm -hmm. the, uh, you don't have to be canceled. You could have easily stayed as the executive producer and no one would have noticed. He's still the executive producer. He is still the executive producer. But they're like, no, you Mm. thought that despite bad behavior, despite lawsuits that he was not directly uh, implicated in necessarily, though he said some bad shit. There's definitely a pattern of... Hostile like none of that, that was ever used around. against you in any way, right. and you just kept going up and up and up. Mm-hmm. And like, meh. none of these people, none of the people like they're considering as hosts would ever have a clean slate. Of course, um, there's plenty to criticize them for, but I don't know. I don't know what the thinking is. It's not like I'm privy. They're, nope. they're not asking me for my that opinion. Lavar Burton has a clean slate. I'm afraid that if they announce him, like some shit's gonna pop up. That would be horrible. I hope not. Oh, why anyway. would you say that? It would have come up by now. It yeah, would have come out by I, now. I would think so. Okay. People are really invested in out, quote unquote outing celebrities who are monsters. I do have two more I want to get to. Okay. Okay. This is I don't one think that we're going to have time for lunch today. We may not. <laughs> um, this one bothered me only because of who it is. Okay. Uh, Americans are being pulled out of Afghanistan really, really quickly and mm-hmm. haphazardly and whatever. It's a 20 year war. We should have ended it yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and there are, I think, legitimate criticisms of joe biden of the administration about how quickly they're doing all this whether we're doing enough to resettle refugees who don't want to live under taliban control are we helping women and children who stand to suffer especially under Mm -hmm. the under taliban islamic rule so ayan hirsi ali who has written books about leaving islam uh, islamic extremism Mm -hmm. who i think a lot of atheists respect who i think are they would recognize the name she wrote an article where i'm gonna read you a passage because this is what bothered me some of it is criticizing that and saying look women are gonna suffer especially under taliban rule why aren't you doing more about it yeah fine go ahead and criticize them for that i'm right there with you sure here's like kind of in the middle of this article in today's perverse american culture however More attention is devoted to the use of preferred gender pronouns than to the plight of women whose most basic rights to education, personal autonomy, the right to be present in a public space, are either removed or under serious threat. What we witnessed this week in Afghanistan is a watershed moment in Western decline. American culture today tells us not to be proud of our country, not to believe in the superiority of American values. Dot, dot, dot. Meanwhile, the U.S. Navy's reading list now includes books such as Sexual Minorities and Politics and How to Be an Anti-Racist, both of which paint a bleak picture of the United States, its history, and its identity, basically saying, yeah, America is better 
than all these other countries. How dare all these Americans act like someone's pronouns is a big deal. How dare they act like America isn't perfect, so Mm -hmm. we're reading books about dealing with racism. Mm -hmm. Like, no, America is better, and therefore, like, stop caring about trans people's pronouns, and why aren't you saying more about, you know, women living under Taliban rule, which is clearly a bigger issue than whatever you people are concerned about. I think, who is this? This is Ayan Hirsi Ali. I? Who has a history, by the I way, of right wing. I think I disassociated. As soon as you started reading that quote, <laughs> I disassociated with its author, and now I'm confused and scared and angry. That sounds about right. Like, under that logic, though, the fact that Americans aren't paying attention to this problem. She's anti-critical race theory? Oh, yeah, totally. She's part of the woke, quote-unquote, like, woke brigade, social justice is a bad sort of thing. Oh. Um, I, it's like the, I have my issues that I care about, and that's what drew people to her side when she was writing books about. And anything that's not my personal issue is a waste <laughs> of my time. Pretty much. Like, no one should ever work to fix domestic problems of any sort. Yeah. Because there are always bigger existential things threats for other groups elsewhere in the world. Also, my least favorite take on Twitter is, why is nobody talking about X? Well, yeah. A, <laughs> you are. Right. And B, what does that even mean? You remember we talked about Richard Dawkins saying those transphobic things yeah. a while ago. She was one of the ones who was quick to defend him, um, saying like, oh, what did she say? I'll read you the quote in case it's necessary. But when Richard Dawkins was saying transphobic things... And the American Humanist Association revoked one of their awards that they'd given him in the past as a symbolic gesture of we're opposed to what he said there. She said, absolutely scandalous and cowardly. Richard Dawkins is the humanist of the century. It is anyone's guess why the American Humanist Association would succumb to the woke mob. Regardless of their blatantly irrational decision, Dawkins will be celebrated as the true voice of reason that he is. Like, look, this is not a zero-sum game. First of all... (laughs) Ew, the true... What, what's that, that last that last phrase? The true... The vo- true voice of reason that he is. Gross. <laughs> that gave me the yucks in a real way. The true voice of reason. He's not a demigod. <laughs> He's just a smart scientist who's also kind of a dum-dum sometimes. Yes. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Last year... I, we didn't talk about this when it happened because okay. she's kind of out of my thing too because she doesn't write about anything I care about or talk about issues I I care about. Yeah, yeah. Last year, she wrote an article for the Wall Street Journal in which she compared, quote unquote, wokeism no, to you. Islamism. Here's and she said in the piece, I'm not about to equate the two. You know, the headline of the article, what Islamists and wokeists have in common. Um, wokeists? Wokeists. OK. As Rhymes always, with we, locusts. As all, we have to remember that most people don't write their own headlines. That is true. So take here's that what with she, a grain of salt. Here's what she actually wrote. The two ideologies have distinctive rituals. Islamists shout Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar and death to America. The woke chant Black Lives Matter and I can't breathe. Islamists pray to Mecca. Stop. You stop immediately. Yes, you stop talking yes, right now. yes. She doesn't understand that death to America, which do they do a lot of chanting of death to America yeah, in they might the Middle East? Attacks. Sure, sure, sure. The ones who um, are saying that which, sort of thing, which sounds at best extremely reductionist. <laughs> oh, they oh they chant Akbar Allah and death to America. Yeah, that's basically all this. Anyway, and the woke mm, chant Black Lives Matter, and which I can't is breathe. about we would like black people to stop being murdered by police. Yes. 
And those are the same. A distinctive ritual. She's not saying they're the same, except she is. What is, okay, I'm um, sorry about being a snob, but what is her, like, educational background? She came from Somalia because her life was threatened because she wasn't Muslim. Uh-huh. Um, she was kind of taken in by a right-wing think tank. And part of me forgave that because it's like, I, you got to get out of there. Yeah, so, absolutely. all right, fine. If you found like a libertarian type of place to go to, yeah. I kind of get that. And nope, now full circle conservative type of, it's one of those Bill Maher, Sam Harris type of, I'm not supporting Trump. I just really hate liberals. Um, that sort of mindset. Oh, let me, I'm sorry. I did not read the rest of this sentence oh. or passage. Islamists pray to Mecca. The woke take the knee. Both like burning the American flag. What? Like, to what end? What are? What is your thesis? I don't know. These two things are the same because they both say things? Because they both have beliefs, I think, is the mad. Has she's she ever mad. taken an anthropology course? Because no. I have big news about how many cultures have <laughs> rituals. Islamism invades against blasphemy. Wokeism wants to outlaw hate speech, in quotation marks. Islamists use the word Islamophobia. You can't just put scare quotes around something and pretend that it doesn't mean anything. Islamists use the word Islamophobia to silence critics. The woke do the same with racism. No, I mean, this is nothing. This is... <laughs> I, yeah, you're right. Like, <laughs> what is it's this? It's word salad. It's, it's nonsense. word salad. Like, it's nonsense. I promise you, you could substitute the woke with like Girl Scouts, and you could end up with the article that has the same percent. Of- and not to mention, like, all of the shit that's been popping up this week of like American conservatives noticing that the Taliban takes over and they ban scientific research and make everybody pray in schools and ban sex education and blah, blah, blah. And all the conservatives in America are like, oh, we can just do that? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what do you... You could totally I, say uh, Islamists want to, you know, force mus, uh, force Islam on you. Girl Scouts try to sell you mint chocolate chip cookies. Sorry, I'm saying loaded with Thin sugar. Mints. Yeah, mint chocolate chip. Like cookies. you could be angry about the exact same thing. But the, the point I'm trying to make is, like, there are criticisms to make about the administration and the pullout from Afghanistan. None of them is how dare this. you not. None of them is this. Yeah. yeah. Like, and she actually started the piece so well, where it's like. We should be talking about this. This is a big deal. I'm right there with her. But it's like one of those, whenever it's this type of mindset, you can't help but like, I got to get in a dig against trans people somehow. Where should I do it in this piece? Aha. Let me yell about pronouns in paragraph seven. Did she at any point in this Wall Street Journal article did she say I self-identify as X as a joke? Because that's the only joke <laughs> conservatives know how to do. Right. No, I don't remember that one in uh, particular, but I don't think she said in her latest piece. I just want, listen, if you're listening to this, all I want you to know is this is where she's at now in case you ever bring her name up in conversation yeah. as an atheist who is brave and suffering. Like, yeah, she did go through some shit. I'm yeah. not denying it. And I do appreciate that she calls out like, radical islamic bullshit and Mm -hmm. that's a good thing and also she's at the point where she thinks like trans people wanting respect (laughs) is something no one should pay attention to because look over there yeah boy wow she really has some represent reprehensible shit to say huh yeah it's the same crowd of the dawkins types where it's where did you fall off the handle here and why did you all scoot over to the right when it yeah i don't 
It does have an audience. Is she our age? She's not much older than us, is she? Not much older. Older, not much older. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what this is all about. Like... It's been it's been going on for a while. It's not new. It's just this is the one that stuck out at me this week where it's like, come on, this is what you're spending your time and your platform arguing about? Like, mm-hmm. America cares about racism. What's right. wrong with you people? Right, right. Like, yeah, I'm glad conservatives are nice to you. <laughs> it doesn't mean right, racism exactly, isn't a problem. Exactly, because they can parade you like a show pony right. and be like, ah, ah, <laughs> she's an immigrant. Right. She, it's like Clarence Thomas saying racism is a thing of the past. Look at where I am these days. Look at like, my dope As room. he shuts the door on other people. Whoops. <laughs> I that on myself. This is why you don't gesture. Hemet just fully threw a pen across my kitchen. I'm mad. <laughs> um, I do it. Okay, I got one last word. We're not going to spend too much time on this, but I thought this was. Mm, sounds uh, like a challenge. I know. <laughs> Um, American Atheist this week announced that they have a new staffer. His name is Brett Parker. He is a three-term Democratic state representative from Kansas, of all places. And uh, he's now going to become their state policy manager, full-time paid staff position, where he's in charge of things like grassroots organizing, communicating with government officials, Mm. other like-minded officials. I have no problem with the guy. I have no problem with the job or anything like that. Here's my question to you that I was still trying to wrap my head around. I here's what uh, he has said. I don't remember if it was in the press release or different interviews. He's a three term congressman. He's, I think, in his early 30s or something. And one of the things he has said in interviews is, uh, you know, if you want to be a state lawmaker, you don't make any money, which is true. It's a very low minimum Mm -hmm. wage sort of salary. Um, I'm going to make up a number. Let's say it's like 20,000, give or take or something. And also it's pretty much a part-time job, isn't it? It, it, They basically, yeah, they give you a low salary because they don't, like, as a state, whenever Mm -hmm. they came up with that law, it's like, we don't want this to be a full-time job. We want you to live your life, and also you do this. Which, okay, fine. Now, the downside is that shuts out people who aren't independently wealthy yeah. and shuts out a lot of people who can't afford to do this full time as a job. Sh- like if you're in the, uh, if you're in like new England, that's probably fine, but it's what four and a half hours to Springfield from here. Like that's also asking, you know, if you're in California, you have to drive to Sacramento. Sacramento. Yeah, like, like in not states everybody where can they just in states where they don't pay well. Yeah. It really, if you're 18, and you're legally eligible to run for office, yeah. well, you better have someone like helping you out yeah. or something, otherwise yeah. you can't really run. Okay, so that is one thing he cited as a reason he can't really do this job forever because he doesn't have another gig. Yeah. So I understand that. Mm-hmm. And also, he's in Kansas where even though the governor um, is a Democrat, mm-hmm. the legislature is overwhelmingly Republican. Hmm. So if you're a Democrat in the state house, even for three terms... You can propose a lot of bills, but if you're thinking of anything substantive and progressive, Uh nothing's getting passed. Uh So I also understand the futility of saying, yeah, I won this seat. I'm not doing anything that's useful here. Mm -hmm. I'm not even able to provide a meaningful veto uh, or a check on the other side because they have the numbers to just do whatever they want, Mm. which is a problem in a lot of states right now. And so I guess here's my question, and I don't mean this to be an attack on him, because mm-hmm. I understand why he would feel like he's not really, he didn't say this, this is me talking, feeling like I'm not accomplishing anything in the house where I sit. Mm-hmm. Someone else could do that job. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I feel like I could make a bigger impact serving uh, with American Atheists or any other group. I think he was working with a voting rights type of group uh-huh. before this. Um Is that a right move where you say, I'm a Democrat in an overwhelmingly Republican state? I got elected. Yeah. Um, 
but I don't feel like I'm getting anything done. I don't know. And again, if it's a financial thing purely, I sure. kind of understand it. If it's not though, yeah. Let's say you're not at a you're not worried about paying the rent. Mm-hmm. Would you stay in that job? And by the way, it's not just him. I've heard this from other lawmakers, uh, too, who are young, who are in states that are typically red. Mm -hmm. And maybe it doesn't even have to be that way. But they feel like, okay, I'm here. I can't do this full time. And I'm not getting anything done. So for all the work of getting these people elected, and you want to have Democrats, especially from blue areas Mm -hmm. in the state, and then they leave, even if a Democrat takes a seat, it's like... I, I feel there's something sad. Uh, when I heard that announcement, yeah. part of me felt sad. He's not leaving the legislature because of the American atheist job, mm-hmm. but also he is leaving the legislature um, and he's taking this job. So it's like, uh, what else are we going to do if we can't even keep good people uh, who are progressive yeah. in I, those seats? I mean, it's a, critici- it's a criticism that we can just lay on to like, the way our government works, yes. right? Like, like I said, it's not an attack on him. No, absolutely not. Um, yeah, God, that's something I never really thought about. Cause I certainly, I think all of us have had jobs where we're like, what the fuck am I doing here? I am accomplishing nothing. And that can be really hard on one's mental health. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so while I absolutely, I see your concern and I think it's correct. Like it's sort of not great that this is the system we have. Like he didn't win 99% to one. He won like with 60% of the votes, give or take, in the two previous elections. Or was, three, was he 50 in a to historically 60. red district and uh, he turned it blue? No. Uh, I lie. I think he beat a Republican incumbent, but the, the district was moving blue. Like he was winning comfortably. Sure. He wasn't at a loss. It wasn't like he was facing a really tough re-election and that's why he's leaving. Right. I did ask him why he was stepping down and what he told me. Uh, was it was, quote, nearly impossible to sustain indefinitely due to the time commitment and lack of a living wage. Mm -hmm. That was what he told me. He's not leaving for the reasons I'm complaining about here. But yeah, it's just one of those things that disappointed me. Like, if you're like this, uh, you hold progressive views in general. Mm -hmm. Like, I want you in office. I want you fighting the good fight. But I do understand what he's saying. Like, I can't be upset at him for making a decision that's best for him and his family or anything like that. Right. It's just like, God, if we can't keep a guy like this in office, oh, the system is broken. I think I'm really glad you brought this up because it's something I've never considered and like also kind of explains why we are leading further and further into like plutocracy where the rich rule and the poor can't for, for whatever reason. And I think, I mean, someone, uh, I know this criticism has been lobbed at someone like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez who went from being a bartender Mm -hmm. um, to being in elected office where Mm -hmm. one of the points she has made clear over and over is like, yeah, this is the first time she's been paid anything decent. Yeah. That she also fought to make sure the employees, her staff working for her, got a raise mm-hmm. so that they could afford to do that job. Because otherwise, live in DC, and live in DC. Not easy. She's not alone in that. They've they've been they've been pushing for the house yeah. uh, under Pelosi. Like change the rules so that all of these staffers for everyone, for Republicans too, yeah. get paid more because they can't afford to do it unless they have money coming in from somewhere else, mm-hmm. which is disappointing. You want more diversity. You want more people out have to have the opportunity to mm-hmm. do that stuff. And it, if you pay them next to nothing, yeah. it only invites a certain group of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Lauren Underwood 
lived with their, like I've seen criticisms of her online that Lauren Underwood, who's the the co- our representative, uh, co- not mine. Oh, not yours. Sean okay. Cast. Nope, not Sean Caston either. Dick. Fucking what's his name? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, just totally blanking on that. But like, there was criticism of her, like, oh, she lives with her parents. Blah blah blah. It's like. <laughs> Well, running for office is a full-time job. Right, right. And, like, luckily, Lauren grew up in, like, a pretty nice part. Like, you know, she lives in a really nice part of Naperville or whatever. And her parents could afford to support her for the year that she chose to leave her nursing job and and move on. Like, so, I don't know, man. Like, I'm glad he took this job. It is impossible. It's an impossible problem, it seems. Yeah. It's a systemic issue. It's not on him. Sure, sure, sure. Anyway. Uh, hey, look, hopefully if you're listening, we will, if you're in town, we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm. We'll be back before then. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Um, I'm at Jess Blimke. Uh, you can also go to my, uh, website, um, my Etsy shop, uh, Bidges Get Stitched Done, um, and order any custom work. I, um, finally caught up on orders, although I know there's some shit in my inbox. Doesn't matter. Um. Uh, that's it. Yeah. Fat Cat, five o'clock Saturday, August 28th. It's in Uptown right off the uh, Lawrence Redline stop. Um, yeah. Where can we find you, bud? Uh, I'm at friendlyatheist.com. Go to patreon.com slash friendlyatheistpodcast. Do we uh, still have a shop? Should we be plugging we have our a shop? shop? We have a shop on uh, friendlyatheistpodcast.com if you want to buy any goods. Buy a thing. Buy a buy t-shirt. A thing. They make Wear great it. presents. It probably won't come in time for August 28th, but I'd be really impressed if you were wearing a Friendly Atheist shirt to a Friendly Atheist meetup. Yes. It would not be uncool, like, wearing a band's shirt to their concert. You can't do that. <laughs> but it would be very cool, because cool. I've never seen one in real life before. <laughs> make it happen, people. All right, All right see we'll you. We'll see you next week.